This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. Welcome everybody to the lunchtime session of FX Medicine uh, on day two of the Biocertical Research Symposium. With me on stage here, I've got Professor Yehuda Schoenfeld, and we're going to get straight into a few questions based around the big, huge, massive elephant in the room, and that is vaccines. I mean, it's far more polarising the religion or politics if you mention vaccines in a room at a dinner party. Dr Elisa Song pleaded for a rational scientific discussion yesterday in her talk about the pros and cons of, of vaccination. What are your comments regarding immunisation schedules, younger and younger, more and more, um, on the population versus personalised medicine? So um, I didn't expect to be asked about vaccine because this was not planned to be discussed in the two, um, at the two lectures and uh, that I'm planning still to give tomorrow. But we will expand on it uh, during the uh, workshop when I will discuss what is called the Asia syndrome, a syndrome which we have described before. So coming back to the vaccine, which is part of the Asia syndrome. Vaccines, by and large, contains the ingredients of the viruses or the bacteria that we would like to be immunized against. Uh, the particles can be uh, synthetic one, they can be formalized one, they can be changed and weakened and so forth. But in addition, most of the vaccine contains also adjuvant which by definition the adjuvant is supposed to stimulate the immune system. If you will inject the ingredients of the viruses and bacteria uh, by themselves, they will not raise enough antibodies which are the protective substances in your body. So you need to add the adjuvant. Just to explain, viruses and bacteria per se, they have adjuvants uh, constitutively in their structure. Why? Because of God. I don't know if you believe in God in, um, no. in Australia, but because of in God Australia. or somebody else who actually provided the viruses and vaccines with, uh, uh, sorry, the viruses and bacteria with adjuvant to enable our immune system to react against them. But when we synthesize the protein and the structures, they are excluded from the adjuvant of the bacteria, and therefore the companies have to add these adjuvants. These adjuvants, by and large, consist of aluminum. Aluminum is strange to our body. We don't, it's a foreign substance. We don't have aluminum in our body. We have potassium, we have natrium, but we don't have aluminum. Aluminum, per se, is toxic to our body. At the same time, aluminum was found to be a very, very efficient, effective, strong adjuvant, and it stimulated the inflammation very strongly. It was found 100 years ago. It's cheap, it's very effective, and therefore the companies are using the aluminum until today. Aluminum is toxic. It's still, if you give it in a very minute amounts, you can take the advantage of stimulating agent, but at the same time, uh, avoid the toxicity. So coming back to the vaccines, 
the vaccine contains foreign ingredients of viruses and bacteria. We know that uh, bacteria and viruses can cause autoimmunity by molecular mimicry and other mechanisms. And here we have the adjuvants, and we know that adjuvant can cause autoimmunity. But in whom? Only in those who are genetically prone to develop autoimmunity, which I have explained this morning. So there is a chance and there is a risk that if you will take this ingredient with the adjuvant, which is called the vaccine, and you vaccinate somebody who is genetically prone, and we can determine who is genetically prone, coming from a family with a very high burden of autoimmune diseases, right. for instance, etc. But we have other markers, blood markers, gene markers, HLA markers, as I pointed this morning, to indicate who is prone. In those who are prone, it can develop autoimmune diseases. So we can now assess the parents to look at the risk of autoimmunity in the child, looking at these various fragments. These right. Various so that pertains to your question, personalized medicine. I would dream that in the future, we will not mass immunize, but we will do it in a personalized way. My dream, as Martin Luther King said, my dream is that when the child will be born, he will have also, uh, they will determine his HLAs, for instance, yep. and you will be able already, when he's born, to detect if he is prone to develop autoimmune disease. There are many ethical questions to this issue, etc. So we will be able to avoid those small amount or percentage of the population who are prone to develop autoimmune disease. Now, why it is important? because vaccines are the best and the most impressive revolution in medicine. It actually eliminated very significant and deleterious diseases. So we should not avoid vaccine, but we should plan it in a better way. What do you mean better way? Maybe personalized medicine. And when we were sitting there, you have asked me some question. What is my opinion about the children and the fact that we increase the number of vaccine, that we give it when the infant is actually leaving the maternity unit. So I am against it. We should plan it in a different way. Right. Actually, my granddaughter, the famous granddaughter that you will see tomorrow in the film, etc., she was given the hepatitis vaccine when she left the maternity, actually before she left the maternity unit. And my oh, daughter, yeah, who is very you. clever, because she is my daughter, and she was born to an autoimmune person. Mm -hmm. So she asked me, Father, should I give the vaccine? My answer was yes, because she doesn't come from a family with an autoimmune burden. So I took the risk and I told you, yes. so it shows you that I'm not anti-vaccine. I want that it will be planned in a better way that we will avoid those small fraction of the population who might be at risk. Now, coming to the question of the multiple vaccine. There is no question that if you multiple the vaccine, you give so many vaccines mm. with this aluminum, which is toxic, it means that you increase the amount, it might be toxic for some people, especially to the brain when the brain is still not developed. Yeah. The immune system is still not mature. 
In our experience, the best way to immunize the children is around two or three years where their immune system is more mature. So it's not my arguments with the Minister of Health and the Administrator, but I would like them to listen to the fact that vaccines are not an innocent substance. No, that's right. It's you give some foreign substance, you give an adjuvant to billions of people, so you cannot say that there are no side effects whatsoever, what they claim. They actually are not transparent to the population. The population see the neighbors who got this vaccine and developed this, another one who that, so they don't believe to the um, administrator. So being non-transparent actually reduces the number of children or adults who are vaccinated. So I'm more for to be transparent to the population to explain the side effects. And if there are some people who were affected by the vaccine, and there is a way to show if they are affected. For instance, there is a special court in the United States which was built to uh, justify or non-justify claims mm. of vaccine side effects, these people should be in a way compensated yes. for the fact that they might be ill all, all their life. So there must be some kind of a system to uh, detect them, diagnose them, and to compensate them. So, so in summary, I'm not against vaccine. I think that we need to revise the uh, time when we give the vaccine, the number of vaccine, and not to be blind and each one of the vaccine to recommend it immediately because the companies who produce the vaccine, they pour billions of dollars just to b actually wash our brains that it is justified. Not everything is justified, but by and large, vaccine, remember, was and is still the best revolution in medicine which eradicated and eliminated some very yeah, risky polio. conditions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll bet you any money we'll have heaps of questions afterwards. But first, I want to get on to human leukocyte antigen, which, which interests me greatly. The uh, class one, class two, uh, very important for the immune recognition and response. Why are plant antigens so much less reactive to HLA or cross-reactive with HLA than animal fragments? So basically, most probably the the HLA are just markers, you have to understand. Mm -hmm. They are markers of different diseases. They are mar genetic markers. They are genetic, for instance, they can be a genetic marker of allergy. For instance, the drug allopurinol, yep. which you give against hyaluric yep. yep. acid, there is a specific HLA which will mark people who will have side effects from allopurinol, and you should avoid allopurinol. So HLA are markers. So they may indicate an immune system which uh, may be hyperactive, as I described this morning, mm -hmm. and may indicate other aspects of the immune system. Now, the hyperactive immune system is the system which reacts against everything, including the plant antigen. But the plant antigen, by and large, are polysaccharide, which means sugar constituents. And the animal um, antigens, we will call them, they are proteins. 
And by and large, proteins with their three-dimensional structure yep. are more immunogenic than polysaccharide. So if you want to make a polysaccharide immunogenic, you have to okay, attach to it a protein residue ah, okay. to make it more uh, immunogenic. And this is one of the tricks that every immunologist knows in the lab if you want to increase it. By in, sometimes you have to add also adjuvant, but adjuvants will not be enough for polysaccharide, namely plant antigens, yep. in comparison to the human antigen or to the animal kingdom antigens. And moving on, I guess, from with the HLA component, um, Professor Alan Ebringer has described uh, ankylosing spondylitis, a cross-reactivity with HLA. I'm going to go B27. It's wrong. Which one? B27? Is that yes, ankylosing yes, yes. spondylitis with Klebsiella? Yes. Um, so there's an infectious agent that's cross-reacting with the HLA. Right. But this is... Then, then you can move on to rheumatoid arthritis. There's other... Um, culprits that are involved. Can you discuss this cross-reactivity? What's happening and why? First of all, let's talk about the person. Albert, Professor right. Embringer is a very lovely person. He's a lovely man. And he will attend the Congress of Autoimmunity, which will take place in Lisbon. And he attended all my meetings, even though he's a little bit old and has difficulties to move. Yeah. But yeah. he's very determined to come to the meeting. He actually devoted his life to show that Klebsiella, which is a common bacteria, has cross-reactive peptides to, um, I would say, the HLA, which is responsible or associated with the disease, yeah. associated yeah. with the disease. Yeah. And he has 10 steps, 10 rules, 10 evidence yeah to show that in each one of them, the Klebsiella is associated with this um, disease, indicating that if we could eliminate the Klebsiella, we could actually eradicate spondyloarthritis, which is a very That's interesting a idea. Frame, yeah. So he is touching a basic mechanism in autoimmunity, the molecular mimicry. And we have this molecular mimicry not only with Klebsiella and spondyloarthritis. We have, with, for instance, between Helicobacter pylori. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. All, yep. All, everybody is nodding with Helicobacter. Yep. And a disease, an autoimmune disease called ITP, idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. Right. Uh, idiopathic means that we are idiots that we don't know the pathology. <laughs> and now it's called immunological uh, thrombocytopenic purpura. And purpura is the uh, red spot that you see, and thrombocytopenia, low number of platelets. And it has been found that there is a cross-reactivity, like with Ebringer Klebsiella, yeah. and the platelet structure. So basically, when we have the helicobacter pylori, which is very common, and very famous in Australia, Nobel Prize Marshall, winner. Yep. So if, when we develop antibodies against this protein on the helicobacter pylori, it goes and binds to the platelet. And when the platelet enters the spleen, it is absorbed into the spleen and destroyed. And then thrombocytopenia. So it's a disease of children, but it can happen also in adults. And in children, it has been found in multi-center study in Italy, that if you give early 
antibiotics which eradicate the helicobacter pylori, you cure the disease. Right. So this... Even, even once it's diagnosed? Yes, right. when it starts. Why it is easy? Because with children, you, you diagnose it very quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, in adults, it takes time. And then, actually, when you diagnose it, the helicobacter, the helicobacter has finished its role and the immune system continues perpetually just to produce the autoandrogen. So they showed when you give the antibiotics early in life, early in the life of the disease, you can eradicate the disease. Fantastic. This may teach us that if we would be able to diagnose all autoimmune disease at a very early stage, maybe in the incubation time. I hope that all of you remember the story of the primary biliary cholangitis, which has a very long in, uh, in induction time. Yeah. So if we would be able to diagnose in the very and give just antibiotics, we would be able to cure autoimmune diseases. So having said that, if you will go to the old literature in rheumatology, you will see that many patients with rheumatoid arthritis were treated successfully with minocycline in the olden days. Yeah. But they didn't understand the mechanism, whether it is eradication ah. of a infecting agent causing the disease or the minocycline, in addition to being antibiotic, is also immunomodulating agent. So, coming back to Ebringer, he is most probably right. Uh, the problem is that most of the literature or most of the scientists do not listen to him, mm. either because they are deaf or because they are concentrating on their own um, uh, ideas and uh, hypotheses. But I think that he is right. There is an association, molecular mimicry. One last question regarding um, um, curcumin and plant therapeutics. Why is it that plant therapies tend to have a balancing effect rather than a suppressing or blocking effect? What is it that is innate in us that we recognize that's low enough, stop working? For this instance, is a very the, tricky question when you are surrounded by hundreds <laughs> of dietitians and naturopaths, etc. The basic answer that I don't know. The, uh, the other answer is, as I mentioned, that whatever is incorporated in the plants and seems to be positive, like we said about the curcumin, like we said about other ingredients of, uh, of food, they are more mildly affecting the immune system. Mildly means that it's not strong. Strong is immunosuppression. Yep. By the way, many of the immunosuppressive drugs were also extracted from plants. Yeah. Yeah. They are more concentrated. We give them in high dosages. Actually, we want to immunosuppress the immune system to get a final effect or a very, very positive effect. And the plants are given as food and by and large. So they are low dosages and therefore they are milder in their effect. Coming back to immunosuppression. Most of you have heard that one of the therapies and maybe cure 
and I'm very hesitating to say Q, is bone marrow transplantation. What is the basic of bone marrow transplantation? First step is we immunosuppress completely the immune system of the patient. Mm. And if we leave him alone, he will die mm. from any infection in the air. So we have to keep him in an isolated, uh, clear atmosphere. And then we transplant either his own clean bone marrow or his spouse uh, bone marrow. And then he reconstitutes his bone marrow and can defend himself from infecting agent. So it's not the bone marrow transplant which causes the beneficial effect. It's the immunosuppression which destroys all the bad guys yeah. in our body. So that's immunosuppression. So immunosuppression in autoimmunity has a positive effect. We want to have it, but we would like at the same time to protect the patients too. Yeah. So there was a story of a young child who uh, had a very, very bad lupus, systemic lupus erythema, and she was given by mistake eight grams of cyclophosphamine, which is a very strong a immunosuppression. Yeah. Needless to say that she had a bone marrow suppression, how they kept her, whatever. They could not transplant the bone marrow eventually to her for one reason or another. And she gained remission for 10 or 20 years from the lupus just because of the eight grams. I wouldn't recommend to do it to no. anybody without bone marrow transplant. This was a coincidence or coincidental, but it shows the beneficial effect of immunosuppression. And at the same time, we have to remember that it might be dangerous to the recipient. Yeah, yeah. Professor Yehuda Schoenfeld, thank you so much. Thank you very much. You can find all the videos from the FX Medicine Live stage at the 6th Bioceuticals Research Symposium in Melbourne by going to the FX Medicine website and clicking on Industry Insights under the Community tab.